This is the Jay and Dan Podcast. Ooh, dance. Dance. We are back with another edition of the Jay and Dan Podcast. This is the final podcast with just me, because next week... Dan's back, and you're going to hear all about his trip to Amsterdam with Jim Pearl. You're going to hear all about the pool hopping he did. You're going to hear all about the trip to the Whitby Rib Fest. Who knows what else Dan got up to, but that's what you're going to hear about. On today's podcast, we have the return of Engineer Jim. Absolutely huge. That'll be a little bit later, but first we're going to talk to an old friend and one of my personal favorite comedians on the planet, Brent Butt of Tisdale, Saskatchewan. Lots to talk about with Brent. He's got a lot in the lot on the go, a lot of things happening. Just a reminder again about our live podcast tour. It is happening this fall, Western Canada. Don't forget, we've added a date, November the 15th. It's a Friday. Tickets just went on sale this past Friday. We're going to Regina. We're experiencing Regina. We're, oh man, I can't. I'm so excited. I can't wait because we're doing Regina and Saskatoon. Saskatoon's almost sold out. Saskatoon, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary, Victoria, Vancouver. Vancouver's where Brent lives. Uh, it's going to be a blast. We're going to have a good time. Um, and I'm, I'm just excited about going live and bringing the podcast live to the people. And a guy who understands about bringing things live to the people because he has been a stand-up his entire life. He understands about performing in front of audiences. He can maybe give me a bit of good advice is our friend Brent Butt. Brent, what's happening on, on the West Coast today? Are you enjoying a, a, an avocado toast and perhaps a, a nice coffee? You know me inside and <laughs> out. You know me so well. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm waist deep in smashed avocado. No, I'm actually, it's a lovely sunny day. I'm in the, gra- in the garage because, you know, you had hinted to me that you would be calling. Yeah. So I have a garage studio game room. This is kind of where I can go do things without bothering my wife so wait did you Waiting set this up call and i'm watching uh, i'm watching uh, jt miller highlight videos on youtube i oh. want to see what we got oh, oh yeah that's right because you're, you're such a hardcore hardcore canucks fan well you know they're my team did you would now did you build this studio for the butt pot is that why you built the studio in your garage no it's kind of a uh I built it to be a game room, basically. Um, <laughs> at, our, at our old house, my garage was, I'd have the guys over for poker, and, you know, I have a foosball table, and we play games. But I, I started more and more, started doing work in the garage. So when we moved from that house to the new house, this, I call it the game room studio because it's, uh, it's still the game room. I got my Spider-Man pinball. I got the foosball. You oh, know. yeah. But I also did a bit of a sound treatment because um, I knew I'd be doing voiceover stuff in here. And uh, I've done more and more stuff with the podcast and with the YouTube videos, the Pod, pod YouTube. So you, um, when you say voiceover stuff, are you actually voicing, because you're doing, of course, Corner Gas Animated Season 2 uh, now on the Comedy Network. Are you do, do you actually lay down your voice there, Brent? Sometimes I do scratch tracks here because... Um, you know, sometimes you'll you'll be editing an episode and you'll say, "Wow, it's, it's actually we're, you know, I've cut a bunch of stuff out and we're still two minutes long." But if if my character said this sentence, it would get the same information out. And so I'll record record scratch tracks in the edit, and then we'll go into the proper studio to do um, the full pickups. 
And speaking of, by Sorry the way, to lose you with the technical show business mumbo jumbo. No, I think I think everyone's riveted if you ask me, and I know I am. If you, um, by the way, you said garage, and I said garage, and I realized that I've become bougie out here out east. Like, like it was garage growing up on the prairies where you grew up on the prairies too. We said garage. Like, why am I saying garage? What the hell's wrong with me? Yeah, I picture you like in a velvet smoking jacket right now. Yeah, yeah, with nothing else. Accurate? Nothing else. Just the <laughs> Donald jacket. Duck in it. <laughs> That's right, exactly. And I'm in the TSN studio, so there are a few HR people outside who are waiting for me. Now, is that a, is that a garage? TSN's garage. It's also where everybody parks. It, it kind of it should be. We should have a garage, but there are. Th- th- I'm fascinated by this place, Brent, because you visited very recently. You came and visited us on the show. <laughs> Can you tell the story? What happened when you got to the gate? Because uh, we have a like a big campus here, and there's a security gate, and you were driven up here, and, and it was kind of a fascinating story. Yeah. So you guys were lovely enough to send a driver to pick me up at my uh, hotel and bring me out to the woods where the studio is. That's right. Scarborough. And, um, <laughs> the driver, uh, we pull up and, you know, there's high level, high levels of security. There. It's like <laughs> trying to get into Langley. It's like penetrating the CIA. There. So anyway, we pull up to the security gate and the driver, with all the, all the confidence in the world, says to the person in the security gate, yeah, I'm here with Jeff Blunt. <laughs> so really that's to know where you stand in Canadian show business when people have some of the vowels right in your name. I just love the confidence. Like the driver was very... Do you think he was unsure, but like, if I just power through this? Yeah, I think that was really what it was. It's like, I'm not sure, but if I say it with confidence, <laughs> determination. And then he had another great line too. Because, um, you know, there's a num- number of small, uh, there's like a couple of smaller studios. That's right. I call them shed- sheds. Yeah, well, they're, they're, they're let's, garages. Let's yeah, there's a bunch yeah, of garages here. The tin shed. <laughs> it's part lawnmower, uh, gardening equipment, and part uh, recording studio. But anyway, we weren't sure which uh, studio uh, was between one of these two studios. I wasn't quite sure. Anyway, there's a dude outside having a ciggy, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I say to the driver, ask that guy if this is the studio where they do Jay and Dan. And the driver goes, what's the show? And I go, Jay and Dan. And he goes, oh, is that the two guys with the microphones? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely it is. <laughs> Just nailed you guys. That's you in a nutshell. I, I like the idea of us starting season three on Labor Day with the tagline, Jay and Dan, the two guys with the microphones. <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I like it. Might be it's a sink. natural marketing. Wizard, <laughs> I mean, it's accurate. It's true. We yeah. are mic'd up. He has a he has a real skill for uh, encapsulating the scenario. <laughs> he really does. And then uh, speaking of garages, this is amazing to me. And I don't know how you felt about it. You know, in terms of like career accomplishments, I don't like it's an interview. But you were on the uh, WTF pod, the WTF pod with Mark Marin. Very recently, one of the most recent pods. Yeah. So if you go to Mark's uh, podcast, you'll see Brent's name uh, really high up there, along with Stephen Dorff, some of the luminaries of the industry. And um, yeah. and, and so what was that like? Were you actually Stephen down? Colbert, just before me. Right, right, the exactly. Open, my opening act. Stephen yeah, you're, you're sandwiching uh, Brent, the filling in the middle, if you will. So uh, were, did you go down to Los Angeles to do that, Brent? Not to do it, but... Um I had run into Mark Marin in New York, actually. Nancy and I were in New York 
<clears throat> and we just, our past crossed with Mark Maron. He was like, well, oh, what the hell are you doing here? And we talked for a little bit. And then he said, well, you know, we, we got to get you on the podcast at some point. He said that uh, people have, there was a social media grassroots thing. He said, people want to see you on the, oh, on the show. So I said, anytime, you know, and he said, well, just let me know next time you're going to be in LA. So I had to go down to LA for some meetings, um, and high powered show business meetings. I was just going to say that uh, sounds very secretive industry luminaries, you know, I had to go have tea with Greta Garbo. Oh, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, so anyway, I just let him know. I said, okay, I'll be in town on these dates. And he said, well, let's do it. Let's, uh, let's book you in. So I went down and what, what, like, I knew it was a big podcast. I mean, the guys had Obama on, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah. but I didn't realize how many people in my life who I would never pick as podcast people. Like you're coming up to me and going, "Hey, I didn't know you're on Marin. I listen all the time, and suddenly you popped up, and it's like everybody I know listens to Marin. I had no idea. It's it's cool. I mean, <clears throat> I didn't know you were on, obviously, and I, I, it was it was a great conversation. Like all, I was always with Mark. There's a few questions where you're a little you're feeling like uncomfortable, you know, like when he's talking about people uh, from Tisdale being hill people, you know, like that. <laughs> You know, then I'm sort of like, okay, Mark, like do a little research. But but at the same time, I loved your rapport because he was genuinely interested in, for example, the whole yuck yucks, Mark Breslin, iron fist of comedy in Canada for years and years. And I didn't realize that you were part of a group of a dozen comedians who sort of broke away from that. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, we were trying to negotiate better terms for the comedians to perform there. And he was. Uh, not keen to uh, <laughs> to satiate our requests, and at a certain point, you know, I just stormed out in a huff. And I was, you know, there was a few of us that were had kind of been fed up, and myself and another comedian were kind of elected by the group of comics to go talk and negotiate. Oh. And at the end of the day, it became evident that listen, we just were going our separate ways. And then you went <clears throat> to the Laugh Resort, and you mentioned the Laugh Resort, and that was the the one and only place I ever did stand up, the one on Lombard Street. I think would that have been yeah. the one you'd have gone to at the time? Yeah, up above uh, Milwaukee's home of the world's greatest chili cheese dog. Oh, is that true? Was that true? Because you're an expert on that. Yeah, it was so good the chili cheese dog. So, uh, but yeah, that was the club, and uh, we went over. And Mike Wilmot was a fantastic comedian. You know, he was kind of the house MC almost at the Laugh Resort, and he was so wide-eyed that we were like twelve of us went over. And our thing was, because you, you weren't allowed to play other clubs, so our thing was, put us up. We all need to do a spot on the same night, all of us at once, to have that strength and solidarity. And so he was like, yeah, you bet. And the owners were like, what the hell's going on? Why, why are there 106 comedians on the show? So we would all go up and do like a short two or three minute set, you know. And it was a cool it was a, club. It was a real uh, fun, it was, it was fun, exciting, scary night, because I didn't know, you know, if I was going to, if, if you could get work outside of that organization, but of course you could. Well, it, but you, you know, you're kind of making light of it, but it was kind of, it, it was, it was a big thing because yuck yucks was everything. Right. And you kind of talked about it on Mark's podcast. It was for you guys to actually have the guts to just say, all right, we've had enough. We're going to go to this other club that set up shop on Lombard. Like I, I know you, you had established yourselves, but it had to have been a bit terrifying at the time. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was, it was, it was, it was scary, and it was, you know, the, the whole notion was, well, am I done as a comedian now? And, and but they, at a certain point, you just have to dig your heels in and do what's right, you know? 
at a certain point, you know, I, I, I've had the, the worst beatings I've had in my life <laughs> were because I punched a bully in the mouth. <laughs> you know? And that was, you know, I basically said that during the negotiations when I was told, you know, what I, you guys are a clique and what I do is break cliques. And I said, well, what I do is I, I push back against bullies. That's what I've done all my life. So, um, yeah, it was a scary, dramatic time. And then you mentioned uh, Rumors Comedy Club in Winnipeg, and, and you won't remember this, but that's where I first met you, because I was hosting Breakfast Television with John Youngberg, who was a local comedian there at the time, and often would would play that club. And you you talked about it on Mark's podcast. That is really uh, a perfect comedy club in Winnipeg. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of an ideal situation. If you were to, if you asked a hundred comedians who had been doing it for a while to architecturally design your ideal club what everybody would come up with would be very close to what rumors is right now. It's low ceiling tiered at the back seats, close to 300 people. Um, it's ideal, you know, it's, and, and it's a, it's it's been there forever. So it's cultivated an audience that uh, is pretty comedy savvy. They know what, what their role is in a comedy club. So it's, it's a perfect scenario. I remember the, um, I just remember meeting you. I remember it clear as day because I believe you had been on our show that morning. or uh, Oh, no, you had been with John, I think, because John would do remotes. So I think you had kindly showed up and done a remote with John, and then you were playing Rumors that weekend, so we went to see you, and I told John I was a big fan of yours. So he said, yeah, oh, well, you know, because I, I think he was going to open for you. <clears throat> and, um, and I remember meeting you for the first time, and you, were, you had a big plate of nachos in front of you. And it was like you were like in between shows, or something. maybe you'd done an early and a late and I remember it was that awkward thing, like you're eating with your hands, right? It's nachos, and <laughs> he brings me up, like, hey, "As Jay Onright, he's a host of the show I'm doing here." And and yeah, you had that second where you're like, "Do I have to? Do I have to <laughs> shake this guy's hand that with the hand that I've been eating these nachos with now, or do I wipe the hand?" Yeah, it was like an awkward moment. That's how our relationship that's started. The, that's the age old Brent Butt <laughs> Now, what do I do with all this gravy on my hands? What do I do with all this? Chili on my hands. What do I? There's a lot of cheese whiz on my hands here. What do I? Yeah, it's an it's a it's an existential dilemma that will follow you forever. I think you're associated yeah, with food in our, a lot of ways. We all have a cross. <laughs> and you brought up um, another thing that I loved that you brought up was that you had first seen comedians, and this is the same as me. You'd first seen comedians, you know, growing up in Tisdale on. You mentioned another show and I wasn't familiar with, but then you said, uh, oh, Hamill, right? Alan Hamill. And then the Alan Thicke show, which I distinctly remember as a kid watching. And I'm thinking, why as a kid? Like, I was a kid kid. I was like maybe six. But I was watching the Alan Thicke show. Like, did Alan Thicke have that much charisma that kids <laughs> oh, were yeah. watching? He was a damn dynamo. Yeah, he there was. was. No, he was uh, just a magnet. No, well, I mean... You're, you know, at some level, you probably have a bit of a fascination with show business, as I did as a child. No, I don't know why, but some people are born, you know, with a fascination for math. <laughs> Others are born with a fascination for sports or whatever. Um, I was just always fascinated by show business. And, yeah, the old Alan Hamill show, it, it, was, it was basically the same show. It's just... He was the host, and then when he quit, Alan Thick took over, and it became the Alan Thick show. But it was this afternoon talk show, and um, 
yeah, I was like, I was like, hey, check this out, Canadian show business show. I'll watch this. And then they, they were introducing the guests, and they said, and comedian Kelly Monteith. And I was like, comedian? I don't even, you know, I knew that meant funny, but I'd never seen a stand-up comedian before. I'd always see sketch comedy, funny acting, that kind of thing. But just the dude talking, I'd never seen anything like that. It changed my world entirely. And it made you think, like instantly made you think, this is something I could actually, this is something I could do for a living. Well, I knew it was going to, I didn't know if I could, but I knew this was the thing I'm going to try and make my living at. You know, uh, I, it was the only thing that made sense to me. There was really, the, the only two things prior to that that I could imagine doing for a living and enjoying was drawing comic books. <laughs> I had uh, submitted a sample at the age of 12 to Marvel Comics. I still have the rejection letter, very nice, polite rejection letter. Oh, man, that's great. And uh, being a goalie in the NHL. But I knew pretty early on that being a goalie in the NHL was not in my future. I didn't have the uh, requisite skill set. Right, right. As I always say, you can't let in nine goals a game at the bantam level and expect a lot of heat from the scouts. You'd think they so understand the subtle nuances of your game, but no, they didn't. I get yeah. it. Uh, very. You know what's not a good what's not a good trait for a goaltender is being <laughs> easily distracted. <laughs> like there, more than once, I was scored on because I was gawking up in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Check, um, checking to see I, what's uh, at the concession stand, maybe. Yeah, Man, is that guy? Is he going to finish that hot dog? Do you think? <laughs> Oh, it's four. So, uh, <laughs> the worst goal I ever let in, I remember, I was having a particularly bad game already. I'd let in three or four, maybe soft ones. And um, this guy took a shot from the wing, and I, you know, lovely glove save. Snagglepuss. Snagged it out of the air. And then I, I went to throw it behind the net, and it kind of stuck in the webbing on my glove, and I gave my glove a shake and threw the puck into my own net. <laughs> and just, I pulled myself in the game. I just started skating over to the bench. I think Patrick Waugh kind of did that once. We showed on on the top 10 all the time. Hey, did you, um, another thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, you just performed in a barn, and you were pretty excited about that on social media. Can can you tell us more about that? (laughs) Well, I didn't know that it was, like when I got booked to play this, it was a theater, right? And they called it the barn. So I thought it would be like a theater theater that is colloquially referred to as the barn. Sure. The way you refer to a rink as a barn or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, holy hell got there. It's an actual damn barn, <laughs> but and, it, it's a barn that's been converted into a theater. So it's beautiful. It was like 500 seats. And, um, it was an amazing night, like a, gr- a great show. The crowd was fantastic. Where you know, was it? I don't where? want to throw the word encore around, but yeah, that happened. But they, your name um, was chanted. Yeah, so it was uh, a fantastic night. But it was a legit, honest, it was a barn that's been there for, you know, 200 years or something. Where, where was it's it, It's all Brent? redone inside. Where, like, where was the show? Uh, so the barn theater is just outside Campbellford, Ontario, which oh. is the quaintest, most pretty little town I've ever seen in my life. You just see yourself living that small town life again? Maybe moving to Campbellford? No, I could not. But, no. <laughs> but I enjoy, I would be happy to look at pictures of that town for the rest of my life. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> when you said <clears throat> you and Nancy were in New York recently, like when you go to 
New York, do you guys go to like the comedy cellar and just drop in and check out, <laughs> like see if David Tell's performing or whatever, and just hang out? Or are you just like, that's work. I, I'm not, I'm not checking out other comedians while I'm on vacation. We don't usually, but we have. Like, you know, the Comedy Cellar is a real kind of iconic uh, club. And a couple of my friends are regulars there. Um, and so, yeah, we've gone down and checked out shows. We went down one night and it was it was a really good night. Because uh, you never know who's going to pop up on stage, right? And it was Michelle Wolf popped up on mm. stage and Todd Berry. And it was a great night. Um, let's and, talk um, it's, oh. a, it's a tough... It's a tough club to get stage time at, but apparently, I've been told, um, my friends who play there have talked to the woman who books it, and she said she would put me on stage if I come down there. So one of these times in New York, I'm going to pop up and do a set at the Comedy Cellar. Okay, I love that club. If you do that, you have to let me know, and I'll fly down, and I'll sit in the front row and just be super annoying. (laughs) Great one, Brent! Like that guy. Say garage. Another terrific garage joke, everybody. And then I'll turn to the rest of the crowd, and they'll make. I don't know what the <laughs> is wrong with this guy. I'll have security <laughs> on you so fast. I know. I'll get out of there. I'll 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 go out quick. Hey, uh, the animated show. This is exciting. I I'm pretty pumped about this because I don't know if you know this, Brent, but uh, we have the uh, the ticker, the bottom line, uh, where the scores kind of you know run over and over on TSN, right at the bottom of the screen there. And we have promotion on the right side of that ticker for various TSN shows, including Jay and Dan. But now included in those, that rotation of promotion is Corner Gas Animated, which you, not that many CTV or Crave shows get onto that rotation. So that's going to be pretty exciting uh, for yourself. It, it is. We're, we're all abuzz about it. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, no, the response has been amazing to the animated show. Like when we started that, this endeavor, I didn't know how people were going to respond. Cause you're taking something that people know and like, and you're, you're putting a little twist to it, right? And that can be a tricky thing to pull off, but the, the response has been, uh, amazing. I was thinking about, um, when we were in the corner gas movie, which was very, very exciting that you let us do that. And I was thinking about Eric, who um, who plays your dad on the show, and the fact that <laughs> I still, I sometimes I'll just make myself laugh by thinking back to when you introduced Eric to us. And I don't know if you remember this, but you know everyone was sitting around eating. It was like between scenes, and you know, like you think of the way Eric. He's so good on the show as your dad, and he's so funny. You believe that he, you know, he's a classic actor thing. You just believe that he is that person. So in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, he's probably a big sports guy. And he, you know, probably watches this every morning. So this will be an easy introduction. And you introduced us uh, to him. And he just, not only did he not know who we were, but he could not understand the concept of what we did. Like you were trying <laughs> to explain the sh- the, what we did as, as, as sportscasters. And there was a little comedic element to it. And it really rat- it rattled him. It, it, he just could not wrap <laughs> his head around. <laughs> yeah, no, he's very, you know, he's into theater and uh, feminist politics, as he always likes to say. <laughs> Radical feminist politics, he's a big supporter of. And, um, yeah, he's just, he's that classic kind of artsy guy. Yeah. Of all the people on the show, like, when you see him on set as Oscar, and then you would see him 
uh, leaving at the end of the day. It's like two different people. First of all, he seems like he's 25 years younger in real life. And, uh, you know, he'd be, his clothes are all kind of cool and <laughs> hip and, you know, yeah. it's a totally different dude. It's such a transformation. And his ability to, I remember when he auditioned for the part of Oscar, he auditioned on tape and he, he did his audition, which was great. But then there was a little addendum where he talked to us, the producers directly and explained that he knows this character so well. He grew up in Indian Head, Saskatchewan. He grew, he knew this, this man this character so well that it would be a terrible, terrible, terrible mistake for us not to hire him. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's a ballsy move as an actor, right? To just lay that out there. Yeah. And, uh, he was right. Yeah, he was right. I mean, can he's, imagine us, can you imagine somebody else in that role? You know I, I who couldn't. I was, uh, when I was writing this, I was thinking one of the people I thought in for, you know, the different characters that we would, I had people in mind for the different characters. The the legendary, the late, great Billy Van was uh, who I thought, first of all, I was a big fan of, and I thought how great it would be to work with Billy Van. Um, and he passed away just, you know, not very long before we started to audition. So do you think you would have, you might have reached out and and actually... Yeah, yeah, absolutely, we would have. We would have said, you know, there's this project, we have you, have you in mind for it, will you read for it? Were, when you big Billy Van fan. When, when you were writing all the characters, like, did you... I don't. I don't know what your relationship was like with the the actors, like Fred and everybody before. Like, did you have people in mind? No, I didn't know. No. I didn't know any of them. I had I, each of the characters on the show. I had somebody else in mind. I had somebody in mind, but they were mostly, you know, specifically comedic people that I knew. Right. And they all auditioned. But at the end of the day, what I it was, this was kind of a lesson that I learned because I'd never put together a, you know, a narrative scripted show before. Was you know, the power of really good acting. So what it, what ended up happening was the part went to the actor who not just had a good comedic sense, but they came in and they were really good actors and really made these characters believable because once you believe the character, all the comedy is way funny. Yeah, that's it right. It becomes more real. And it was a good lesson to me just about the, the power of really good actors. But I didn't know any of them uh, before. And now, what? Like, I mean, now Fred's probably living in that garage with you or garage. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've had to ask him to keep it down a couple times during this interview. <laughs> Loudly eating his Captain Crunch. I'm like, is that a good cereal when I'm on the radio, uh, the podcast? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Right in it. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Hey, listen. Um, thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. I love talking to you. You know, I'm a huge fan. Um, oh, by the way, before I let you go, how did the the night you were on with us a couple of weeks ago, the next night you were going to do, uh, you're going to do your very first, I couldn't believe this, this is going to be your first stand-up special, and you did it at the Danforth Music Hall, which is a beautiful, uh, beautiful theater on Danforth uh, Avenue here in Toronto in the Greek part of town, Greek town they call it, not the Greek part of town, it's just Greek town. Greek part of town sounded yeah, I offensive. Yeah, that night on stage, I said, uh, I, said I, I feel sorry for the guy who's like just starting a new Greek restaurant in this part of town. Like, how do you, you know, there's 200. How do you distinguish yourself? How do you tell the people, listen, the way I put lemon on potatoes is completely different from exactly. the way they put lemon on potatoes. That is what's fascinating. Like, are you a fan of, I like, I love Greek food. Are you a fan of Greek food? Yeah. 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 So there, what, I'm always fascinated when people tell me they don't like Greek food because it's like, 
It's pretty simple. It's just there's a few little tweaks they kind of make to it. But are you saying you just don't like potatoes but made even more delicious than regular potatoes? You know what I mean? Like I never, I don't understand yeah. people who don't like Greek food. There's, no, there's nothing in the Greek recipe that you can't wrap your head around. Right, exactly. It's like all, it's very familiar elements put together in kind of a cre- creative, slightly different way. I've never, yeah. I, I've never got understood the uh, the people who don't like it. But no, so but it went well. The sh- the show itself went well. Yeah, couldn't have gone better. It was a fantastic uh, night, and it was an amazing crowd. They were super into it. I did like ninety minutes. So now we're we're in the process now of um, editing it. It's going to be all the post production now, editing it down to a reasonable amount of time, doing the audio mix and all that kind of stuff. But I I really like how it turned out. So. I'm uh, looking forward to getting it out in the world, and when, whatever way or shape that's going to happen. Well, that's what I was just going to ask you. Any idea, like, w- will it be, uh, because you're, you're, I feel like you're part of the Bell Media family, so do you see this being a Crave thing, or is this going to be a... Uh, Who knows? Like, yeah. I, my, my thing was to, I want to put it together first. Right. And then we'll see what we have, and, you know, my my team of high Price show business uh, entertainment uh, geniuses. Yeah, my management and lawyers and all those will strategize about where it should go. We'll shop it around. Hmm. At the end of the day, you'll probably just be seeing it on my YouTube channel. Well, but no, we're going to shop it around. I, here's what I like, and just throwing this out there as an alternative because you're going to have a lot of options. We've had a hard time filling content on the show, especially over the past week, Brent. There's not much that happens, especially Baseball All-Star Week. It's a little better now. I like the idea of next year's Baseball All-Star Week. We just run that special five (laughs) times from Sunday to Thursday at midnight on TSN in our time slot. What do you think of that idea? Well, listen, you know, I'm all for it. If it were just me, (laughs) absolutely. But damn it all, my agents and managers, they're such jerks about this kind of thing. That's why you have agents and managers, right? So you can so you can deflect, so they can be the bad guys. But the fun thing that we're going to do, though, is we're going to, like I said, i got to cut it down to a reasonable level. i got to cut the show into what I want it to be. All the stuff that doesn't make it into the special, I am going to end up putting on, well, not all of it, but a lot of it I'm going to end up putting on uh, the ButtPod YouTube channel. I like that. I like that idea. Well, listen, my friend, I'm going to let you go. Uh, you've got things to do in the garage, um, pinball to play, foosball to play. The first thing I got to do is find out what, there's a funk in this garage. Oh. I came in this morning and there's a funk and I don't know what it is. I oh, got to find it. That's the worst feeling when you, there's a smell and you don't know where, where yeah. it emits from. You know what it is? It's Fred. <laughs> no, I'm familiar <laughs> with his, uh, odor for sure. No, but it's definitely, that's my morning funk hunt. Well, good luck with that. And, uh, Again, Corner Gas Animated continues season two. I want to say Monday on the Comedy Network. Am I right? Mondays? Yeah. So it's Monday, 8 o'clock, Eastern yep. and Pacific. And they're running two new episodes back-to-back at 8 o'clock. So uh, from 8 to 8.30, or sorry, 8 till 9, there's two episodes uh, of the new season two on Monday night. And follow Brent. I assume once you decide who will be the lucky recipient of the stand-up special, you will let us know via the uh, via the Twitter or or the Instagrams or all of them. Yeah, really. all those places: Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Those are the three places I hang out mainly. Perfect. Uh, Snapchat, 
that's not right. Doesn't seem right for you. I have, you know, it's weird. Is like anytime a new thing comes along, I I have to grab my name. Yeah, but I don't participate. So when Snapchat was really really brand new, I was like, okay, this seems like it's going to be a thing. I should. I had no intention of using it, but I thought I could register my name. I go, and somebody already had it. Yeah. Somebody registered Brent Spot on Snapchat. They call that squatting. Someone was squatting on you, Brent. Dirty ducks. Yeah, that's yeah, not right. It's not right. Yeah, no, it's um, I, honestly, it's great talking to you, my friend. I loved hearing you on Mark's uh, podcast, and, and uh, thanks for taking a little time. And, and say hi to Nancy, and, uh, and have a terrific rest of the summer. Thank you, my friend. Anytime. Talk to you soon. There he is, Brent Butt, uh, one of our absolute favorites. I just love the guy. Just the salt-of-the-earth guy just hanging out in his garage. And now, from one salt-of-the-earth guy on our side of the border to another salt-of-the-earth guy on their side of the border, uh, we're going to be talking to Engineer Jim. James Mitchell is his name. Maybe you didn't know that. That's his name, James Mitchell. Uh, Engineer Jim, our old fan, our old friend uh, from the the Jay and Dan podcast at Fox. Still at Fox, still cutting amazing pieces for them. Anytime you're watching the World Series or you're watching the Super Bowl or the NFL on Fox on Sunday or the United States Open Golf, you're seeing some of Jim's work there. You're seeing some of the stuff he does. He's, uh, he's gotten all the audio for all those great pieces and intros and all that stuff. And, uh, but, of course, we love to talk to him about music because he, uh, he worked on all those legendary albums and spent all that time with Guns N' Roses and Use Your Illusion 1 or 2. I got to listen to Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. I saw a cop. This is so weird. I was walking down the street the other day, and I saw a cassette copy just sitting on the street. Like someone had a cassette of Use Your Illusion 2. And I just saw it on the street, and I thought of Jim. So I want to talk to him about another musician today, but first I got I to gotta just say hello to our old friend, Engineer Jim. Jim, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Jay? Man, what's happening? It's uh, as as of this moment, I'm speaking to you. It's it's nine forty six. You're hanging out in your palatial Coldwater Canyon mansion. <laughs> You're kicking back, maybe with a Michelada or something like that. Well, what's what's up for for Engineer Jim on a Monday morning? Uh, well, I have the day off today, so I will be lounging in the pool. With many refreshing cold ones. I love it. What's your drink of choice uh, these days, Jim? You know, I'm uh, doing the same summer ale, enjoying the uh, the 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 summer beer. You know what I mean? I dig it. I dig it. Like uh, uh, not like a, what do they call those uh, when you make a shandy? Not like a shandy, but like a light, like a lighter kind of lager, maybe. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. I love and it. Uh, it might have like a just a hint of lemon in it, you know, just <laughs> yeah. just just a hint. Yeah, just something and then, to uh, refresh it a little bit. Yeah, and I'll I'll kind of alternate between that and uh, I've uh, found a great kinship with Casamigos tequila. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Is that because you are you a tequila guy? Like we we used to enjoy a few shots around the podcast room. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I I've never really been a tequila guy until I found really good tequila. Yes. And now that I've come across some really good tequila, I'm a tequila guy. <laughs> it's so funny you say that, Jim, because in in college when I was going to Ryerson up here, I was. 
a big time tequila guy, and I just liked it with beer. I'd like to do a shot of tequila, then a beer, and that's how I'd get bombed. But yeah, sure. But at, you know, now in hindsight, I just I was drinking the shittiest of the tequila, <laughs> like the the levels of in that tequila was just so high, it was so bad, uh, and yet I happily drank it. Uh, and now, as you as you mentioned, there's all these companies, uh, eighteen hundred and Don Julio, and yeah, and yeah, uh, obviously yeah. Patron, and then the Casamigos thing, which is George Clooney and Randy Gerber. Randy Gerber is married to Cindy Crawford. They're like best yeah. friends. They go to Mexico. They figure, you know, we could do this, and and then they make it happen. Oh, and your old buddy uh, Sammy Hagar with his Cabo Wabo did pretty good too. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, I, I used to hang quite a bit with uh, Randy Gerber back in the day. Too. Let's discuss so, yeah. that. Let's discuss that. Now, where, where, in what context? Where? Uh, so, um, you know, he had a, a couple of bars. He had the whiskey bar at the Sunset Marquee right. that he had opened. And he uh, had the Sky Bar at Chateau, uh, uh, at the Le Mondrian. And then he had a whiskey bar I think it was at the Paramount Hotel in New York. And I used to frequent them quite a bit. And uh, um, back in the day, you know, the and, and still, the, uh, the, the Chateau Marmont, but the Sunset Marquis is very popular with the, the musician crowd. And uh, um, in the sort of early 90s I was working a lot with the Black Crows and literally we'd go there every single night and uh, Slash used to hang there all the time so I'd see him there and and uh, I didn't know him at the time but Billy Bob lived at the Sunset Marquee for a long time and uh, sort of later on when I met Billy and he had been hanging uh uh, at the whiskey bar all the time. I would I used to see him there all the time when I was there with the Black Crows. So, and Randy would be there, and he was really tight with the Crows. So when we would be in the studio, Randy would come down the studio almost every night and hang out and visit with us. So uh, we got to be good buddies. I mean, what a that must have been incredible. First of all, Randy Gerber. Think of this guy. This guy just owns, he owned the coolest bars in Hollywood for years and years. Exactly. Right? And, then, exactly. and then he ends up marrying, you know, the supermodel of her generation in Cindy Crawford. And I remember seeing him at um, Coachella, Jim. When I was living in L.A., I'd go to Palm Springs and we'd go to Coachella. And I would always see the Crawford Gerbers, because by now their fam, their kids have kind of grown up. I think their daughter yeah. is like a model or something as well, yeah, like her mom. she's gorgeous, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so you'd see, and it was like, there was such a, uh, I don't know how else to say it, there was such a cute family. Like, obviously, the parents are, are good looking and the kids would be good looking, but it was more that they, as a family, were all going to Coachella together. And I'm like, Jesus, look, what kind of life with this family is incredible. And the other thing yeah, about them... Yeah, they got them, it pretty bad. And they got it pretty good. And the other thing about them is that's kind of neat for our Canadian listeners is that they have a cottage, and they're very uh, open about it. They post about it all the time in Muskoka, which is a big cottage country near Ontario. Oh, no way. So they, I didn't know that. Yeah, so they spend their summers up here. They love it up here, and, and they're every summer, the, the Crawfords and the Crawford Gerbers, as I call them, are up here. But, yeah, what a, what a time, right? The 90s, I mean, the Crows are just killing it. 
And uh, yeah. and and this is um, hey, I want to ask you about. It. I was listening to an album that I think is so underrated, and that's their third album, the Crow's third album, Amorica. Did you work yeah. on Amorica? I did. Wow, I did. Jim, uh, that's incredible. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, this this was the record that we were doing <clears throat> when uh, we went into the studio to do all the stuff and. I had actually um, started working uh, w- with them sort of before Amorica got started. Um, we we were kind of hanging out. Chris had moved out to L.A., and uh, I got introduced to him, and uh, I had just finished doing, like, Duff's solo record, and, you know, Illusions were out and all that stuff. And... Uh, um, you know, we actually hooked up at uh, um, Rick Rubin's house, and he was up there jamming with uh, Andy Sturmer from Jellyfish and Craig Ross from Lenny Kravitz's band and Mark Ford, who was in The Crows. And it was like this awesome super group. Uh, Jimmy Ashurst, who was playing bass in Easy's band, and, and uh, Roger Manning, who went on to play with Beck for years, and he was also in Jellyfish, and they were all up there jamming. And uh, um, you know, I went up to talk to him, and we we really hit it off. We had a great time, and uh, we wound up going into the studio and recording um, a half a dozen songs, which really I think was sort of my audition process with Chris and those guys. Uh, to see if I was going to be working with them in the future, which I wound up going on to do, you know, work with them for the next couple of years. And uh, um, uh, we did this this record called Sweet Pickle Salad. And uh, it's come out in sort of bootleg forms and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, the Crows were a little hesitant, I think, to release it. Because uh, they didn't, I don't think Rich really wanted it competing with the Black Crows. It and Rich, for people who don't cool. know, Rich is Rich Robinson. So he was talking about Chris Robinson, who is the lead singer, and then Rich Robinson was the lead guitarist. Brothers, yeah, famously uh, don't always get along. Would would that be an yeah. understatement, Jeff? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, you know, I, you know, don't don't quote me on it that that's the reason why it didn't come out, but uh, you know, who knows? You know, that's that's kind of what I thought, but uh, you know, that that may not be the reason or not, but uh, you know, it it was a really cool record, and you can find it out there. It's it's amazing. Well, the amazing. Anyways, I, I uh, we went on, and then after that, we went on to start Amorica and wow. do all that. And it's so cool. There was some issues going on uh, with the band and everything else, and uh, um, so some of the tracks I did wound up to go on with the record. Then they wound up hooking up with another producer, and they did. Uh, a bunch more tracks for the record and all the outtakes and all the other stuff that I did uh, is now out on uh, an album uh, that's called uh, From the Vault with the Black Crows and I did the the thing I did all of it in its entirety is a record called Tall and uh, Chris would play that record whenever they had parties or whenever they had 
uh, backstage stuff. That's the record he would play everybody all the time. Okay, this is incredible cool. because I've been reading about this record, Jim. I can't believe you worked on Tall. I didn't, and I did all this time. I've known you. I didn't talk to you about this because I've been yeah, reading. Yeah, it was ab- just me. It was just me and the band for that whole record. That is incredible. I did that whole thing. That's incredible because <laughs> that is if you're um, a Crows fan or if you're just getting into the Crows. Just quick backstory: They do their first album, "Shake Your Money Maker." It's a gigantic instant hit. They're huge. They're a massive band. They are. You know, everyone's like, "These guys are the next big thing." They do their second album, "Southern Harmony," a musical companion. Yeah, it's a, also equally massive. That's the, the album "Remedy" is on. Terrific record. It's great. Then they get ready to do the third album. Lots of expectations, and I didn't realize that Chris really wanted Tall to be the follow... Like, he wanted that to be the third record, right? Yeah. It was Chris who was sort of pushing that, that, right? It was his baby. That's very, very much so, yes, yes. And so it's happening... <laughs> the, you're hearing the music. It's like a legendary kind of lost album now. Like, in your mind, why isn't this, why isn't this the third record? Is it because Rich wasn't as into it as Chris was? Uh... I, I kind of feel, uh, you know, that that played a part in it, you know. Um, uh, so uh, in the earlier records, you know, kind of Rich wrote the songs and came up with the music and Chris was writing the lyrics and the melodies and things like that. And on this record, uh, Chris brought a lot of the music to it. Uh, he he would he was playing guitar. He was writing songs more from top to bottom, like you know, here are the chord changes. Here's how the song goes. This is what I want. This is the arrangement. And uh, in the past, the first two records, and probably from inception of the band, uh, I would imagine Rich was always that guy. Right. And so now here we are. We're making the record in Hollywood, not Atlanta. We're all out here. And, uh, you know, I think Rich kind of felt like, you know, hey, I'm Chris's guy and all that stuff. And uh, I think he felt like he didn't have, you know, maybe he was maybe, you know, didn't have enough control in it. And, you know, I kept trying to tell him, you know, hey, man, you know, uh, you know, I'm on your side all the way, and uh, I I think it was a, I think it was just you know I think he was looking for somebody, I, I don't know you know maybe that had uh, you know they they wound up bringing in Jack Joseph Puig and and recutting some things with him and doing some some other songs with him uh, and then putting out a Morica. And on sort of like uh, bonus editions, they would have some of the tracks uh, like Feathers and some other stuff that I did with them uh, that um, they would put on Amorica as well. There was a couple other songs on there, I think, maybe, uh, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but like Descending and a few other things that I did with them that that wound up on that record. Um, Wiser Time we had done that's on both records and stuff like that. But the version that's on Amorica, I think that we did with, with Jack, there's right. a few, few things like that. Mm. And, 
and really, um, I don't know if you listen to Tall, it's it's just it's unbelievable. I just recently rediscovered that record for myself, and it is insane how good that record is. So crazy because it's genuinely. I mean, I know you've been a part of all these big records. That's such a yeah. unique thing to have been a part of because it's like one of those great rock and roll stories like this was the lost record in a way. Because the thing with the Morica is that the cover was, of course, famously the uh, the bikini bottom, the American flag bikini bottom yeah. with the pubic hair coming out of the bikini bottom. I always remember when it first came out, I was like, wow, these guys are really uh, going for it here. But the problem with that was that big chains like Walmart, which were super conservative, wouldn't carry the record like looking yeah, like that. That's right. And and right. so they had to repress the record with a sort of a, you know, just have the bikini, but no, you know, woman's body in there. But the damage had kind of been done. Like it, it, uh, you know, like the, the time had passed, and and yeah, you know, that's right. right? Like yeah. they just they, they kind of lost their momentum there. Over a cover, if you can believe it, it's really ridiculous when you think about it now. Um, but that was the big thing with that record because the record itself, when you go back and listen to Amorica, it's terrific. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's amazing that tall that you were such a big part of that, Jim. That's that's so cool. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, like I said, uh, you know, at that point, you know, we had decided, and I, I've still maintained a great relationship uh you know we text and talk here and there with uh steve gorman you yes. know i talk to him all the time and, and you know i've run into chris here and there in the past and you know every you know it's it's great you know i uh i, I it was a great experience in my life and um i i i you know hindsight at the time it, it was weird you know because uh i I was looking for them to try to find a way in and in those songs to really cool songs, but I was really looking for them to maybe find the one or two songs that would kind of be like the next hard to handle or remedy or something like that, that could get that third album to be, you know, the one, cause there was, you know, all this talk with the label that, you know, Shake Your Money Maker sold X amount, and yeah. you know Southern Harmony didn't sell as much, and they were really concerned that you know they weren't selling as many records, and it was like, you know, Southern Harmony is one of my favorite records of all time. It's I so love good. that album. It's so good. And 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 uh, you know, I wound up after we did that uh, uh, a few years later. I wound up producing um, Mark Ford's record. Um, which is just phenomenal, and uh, Mark Ford's in the uh, band, you know, right? In the, he's in yeah, the band, yeah, yeah. And you mentioned in the band, but and you mentioned like, Steve Gorman. Steve Gorman's the drummer who uh, we. I believe we had him yeah. on uh, the podcast, Jim, when we were in Fox. I think we had him on. That's right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Anyways, you know, um, and all those guys were amazing, and you know, um, and now Mark is back together with. Uh, Gosh, I'm trying to remember the name of the band. I'm having a total mental mind play. Uh, the Magpie Salute. Mark is back with uh, Rich, and they have a band now. They've been playing together the last couple of years, and they're going to have a new album, I think, coming out in the fall. Called, and uh, and I think that'll be maybe their second album. 
uh, and the band's called uh, the Magpie Salute, and uh, they're really, really good. It's amazing stuff. It's such a cliche, and, right, though, Jim? Like, you mentioned Chris wanted to bring some of the music to the table. Rich had been doing that. Uh, it's like yeah. a, a change in the di- dynamics of how the music is made is always the death knell for a band, I feel like. Even though they're artists, they can't help themselves, they want to be creative, they, you know, Chris didn't want to just be a lyricist, right? And that's just the way human beings I, are. I think that, I, yeah, I mean, you know, and he, lo- like, the music just, and it's the same with Rich. The music just oozes out of every pore of their body. They just live, eat, breathe, drink. It's all about music. And they love songwriting. They love the process. They love the process of recording. They love playing. They love performing. And, uh, you know, they're so talented. Uh, it's one of those things, you know, Chris has a love for the stuff and, you know, he's like, hey, man, you know, I believe in this stuff. He wants to put it out there. It, you know, it's a, sometimes it's it's hard for people to be, you know, criticized or somebody else to say, well, no, you know, that's not how this works. We're going to do it this way. And, 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 and I'm not necessarily saying that's exactly what happened with those guys. But, um, you know, it's kind of interesting if you, uh, you know, look at their subsequent albums after that, you know, Three Snakes and the Ch- One Charm, and they've, they've put out three or four, I think, other albums since Amorica. And, you know, they would break up, get back together, they tour, break up. You know, I'm sure Steve will, Steve's got a book coming out. I'm sure there'll be some interesting stuff in there. And oh, yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of books written about the guys. But even like, you know, when they got back together and toured and Jimmy Page went out with them, that was amazing when those guys, if you've ever heard any of the live shows that those guys have done, there's a bunch of them recorded with uh, Jimmy Page where the Crows are playing like sets that are like half Zeppelin, half Black Crow wow, stuff. cool. So with cool. With Page playing with them. Oh, it's insane. Great, great stuff. Man, you mentioned Steve's... Steve Gorman's writing a book. I have to, like, that, that'll that be an incredible book. Because <laughs> Steve's so, you know, like, like uh, I think we alluded to it when we had him on. He's now a, a radio talk show host. Like, he's a super intelligent guy, great communicator. So just to think of him putting that into words, his experience being in that band, you know, when they were at their peak, uh, that will just be, I can't wait for that book. I'm excited. Uh, for I can't either, you know. I mean, it's great. And, uh, you know, I... I had hooked up with Steve when he was living out here in L.A., and he kind of bounced around. And when he moved back to L.A., we got together, and uh, there was a few artists I was working with here and there, and some that I did their records, some I didn't, but, you know, helped them get on their way to making a record. And I'd put them in contact with Steve, and he would play on their records and be like, oh, man, this is great. Thank you. And uh, I think one of the last things we did together was um, uh, I, when I did uh, Warren Zevon's last album. Oh, yeah. That won all those Grammys, and, you know, Warren was literally dying. Yeah. We did a version of Knocking on Heaven's Door. 
and Steve played drums on it, and we cut the whole thing live. Oh, it was man. just incredible. Oh, it was man. awesome. Buddy, I could yeah, talk to you. Cool stuff. <laughs> I could I could talk to you about this stuff for decades. Uh, and I hope and I hope I get to do that. But yeah, we got to let you go now because we run out of time. I, I, I can't believe it. I it's know. brutal. But this is Jim. I, like I what I love about talking to you is I literally was just reading about Tall, like the history of Amorica, and the fact that you. <laughs> you were the guy behind the boards for that. Is uh, yeah, well, I did the whole thing. It was I, I, literally me and the band. That's incredible. Pretty, pretty wild. That's yeah. pretty wild, man. Yeah, yeah you you continue to amaze and astound me, uh, my friend, with the the history of what you've done in your career and and uh, what you're still doing at Fox. We miss you so much. Hey, we had uh, last week on the pod. We had Sexy Mike on. Uh, we had Schrager on. <laughs> Uh, we had Joel Clad on uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, it's been a bit of a, a reunion thing, but it wouldn't have been the same doing it without you. So thanks for joining us today, and enjoy those uh, those loggers by the pool. And It's uh, my pleasure. Please give my love to Dan. I hope he's having a great time on vacation. I'm sure he's probably with Ben Teller right now. Yeah, you know who he was with? He was with Jim Pearl in Amsterdam as of like three weeks oh, ago. I love it. I love it. Can you imagine? Oh, can great. you and I? Can you and I do a trip like that someday to like Nashville or something? I'd be. I would in a heartbeat. That would be Just incredible. Let me know when. Let me know when, Jay. All right, I'm with buddy. you all the way. You're the best. Have a great rest of the summer, my friend, and we'll talk to you soon. You too. All right. Talk to you later. Bye bye. There's Engineer Jim. What a guy. What a what a legend. What a fantastic human being. Um, very quickly, again, just got to mention it, the podcast tour. Christoph's going to be there. Jay's going to be there. Dan's going to be there. We're coming to your town. And just a reminder, Regina has been added to the list. So it's seven cities this fall. Regina is November the 15th. Tickets just went on sale last Friday. Uh, we'll be at the convention center uh, in Regina on Friday, November the 15th. In addition to all our other shows, go to eventbrite.ca to find where we're going to be Showtimes, all that stuff. Buy your tickets. It's going to be a great time. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that Engineer Jim will make a special appearance at at least one of those shows. Probably a couple via the uh, the Skype or the FaceTime stuff. How did we bring him in for the Ottawa show? That was our special guest there. That was the Skype, yeah. Yeah, and it was great. And his face went up and <laughs> the crowd went crazy. Crowd went absolutely nuts just seeing him. And he was great. He chugged a beer, uh, which is great. So I'm pretty sure we can twist his arm and convince him to do it. Uh, on our next shows this fall, too. So it's been a great run. I'm going on vacation now. Uh, next week, Dan will be back uh, with a new podcast, and I imagine he'll be talking a little bit about Amsterdam. And, I would think so. And what else? He's been, I think he's renting an RV. He's going on the road with the RV. He doesn't know where he's going. Maybe he'll just drive to Amsterdam, get on like one of those ships that ferries vehicles across the Atlantic. Just go back, hang out there. Maybe he'll never leave. I don't know. It's a mystery at this point. Wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in a mystery. So uh, enjoy the podcast with Dan for the next few, and I'll see you around Labor Day. Uh, I'm going to L.A. right now. I'm taking off for L.A., so uh, it's going to be a great time. Hopefully I can see Jim down there and a few other people. Um, thanks for enjoying or thanks for listening to these last few podcasts. Uh, it's been really fun just just hanging out with these guys again and, and getting Joel back on and Schreger and all these guys. It's been a blast. So uh, have a good summer, everybody, and we will see you on Labor Day. So long, they're going home. Who's the number one call? The number one call. On the force. Who's the 
This is the Jay and Dan Podcast. 